Great, well, it's great to see you. Let me just start with a little bit of a joke. It's a story about a, a vicar, an imaginary vicar, um, uh, whose wife was very, very keen on shopping, an imaginary vicar. Um, and uh, it was a very big, big problem. She was just running out of money because this wife was shopping so much. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, darling, he said, I believe it is, uh, it is spiritual attack. I believe the devil is making you buy clothes that you don't need and don't want. And so what you need to do, he said, next time uh, you sort of are in a shop and you're trying on a dress, uh, you need to say, uh, get behind me, Satan. You know, I'm not going to have part of your plans. Just say that. She comes back next Saturday from the shops with a uh, large shopping bag and a very nice dress in it. And he said, darling, I'm disappointed. Did you not do as I said? Did you not? She said, I did exactly as you said. I was trying the dress on. I was looking in the mirror, and I saw how beautiful I looked. And then I said, get behind me, Satan. He said, and what happened then? Satan said, it looks even nicer from behind. Uh, <laughs> um, the... Um, that's just a joke. Um, but, um, yeah, don't tell that one about it. Uh, we'll come back to that later on, actually. It kind of makes us into a little bit of a funny one, but there's a serious point behind it. Let me tell you another story. This time it's true, because that one wasn't. Uh, this, time, this time it's true. I was speaking to a Christian chap a while back. Uh, he was being really honest with me about some of the struggles uh, that he was facing, struggles that are not uncommon to Christian men. Uh, workal, workalism, uh, alcohol, and pornography. And naturally, they were getting him down. And we were thinking uh, about ways through this struggle that he was working through. And eventually the chap said to me, he said, I know what, Philip, he said. I just need to be stronger. I just need to be stronger. And I thought, is that really the case? Is that what you really need? From an initial look at our reading in Ephesians 6 tonight, the answer to that question would appear to be yes. Those words, be strong, come right at the beginning of our passage and are reinforced by the imagery of the armour that comes later. No wonder the great Bible teacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, writing on this passage, says, and I quote, We are being roused. We are being stimulated. We are being set upon our feet. We are told to be men. The whole tone is martial. It is manly. It is strong. I suppose the question tonight is, does Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, teach us to be strong? Can I encourage you to look at it with me? Because I'm going to suggest that the answer is somewhat more complex than that might appear. It's on page 1177. If you haven't got it open in front of you, there's a little bit of a batting order. We'll come on to that in a moment. We've been seeing, as we've been looking through Ephesians, uh, this wonderful letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus in southwest Turkey in about AD 60. That Paul has been exploring two main themes. First of all, Paul has been saying, what is so good about the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is just the riches that he's given us. He said, God has chosen you since the beginning of the world. God has poured out his grace and his love upon you. He's binded you together as one community, Jew and Gentile, slave and free together. That's the riches of what it is to be a Christian. And the second thing he said is, what does it mean to be a Christian? Chapters four to six have all been about, if you are loved so much by God, this is how you might say thank you with your lives. He's talked about what it is to be united with one another, what it is to be uh, focused on living a holy life, and what it is to live in good relationships with others, which is what Mike helped us think about last week. But now in these final few verses, Paul encourages the uh, Christians in Ephesus to lift their eyes to a biggest battle out there. 
Now, if you've been a Christian for any time, you probably know this passage quite well. The imagery of the armour of God is striking in its detail and something of a lifeline to all-age worship leaders, desperate for something visual from Paul's somewhat abstract writing. A number of times I've seen a child up the front, that didn't happen here this morning, by the way, being dressed literally with the armour of God, with labels prominently saying faith and righteousness. Um, And this sort of activity is helpful in one particular degree, in the sense that it reminds us that we are part of a battle and it makes the struggle very real. Let me explain what I mean. We may all feel that we have struggles from time to time. Those struggles might be with time, with workload, with financial uncertainty, with temptation, with ill health. Now, those struggles are all real. We all know about them, don't we? But Paul says there is one key battle, one key struggle that is going on. Look with me at verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Wow, that's quite a list, isn't it? That's quite a struggle. Uh, what, What is going on there? Well, commentators have a field day trying to work out what all of these things are, and what refers to what, and that sort of thing. But I want to say just one very simple point. There is a spiritual battle going on. This world is not simply about what we can see and touch and feel. There is more going on in this world than that. Yeah? There's supernatural forces of evil vying with forces of good. Now, sometimes these forces remain invisible. But sometimes they can be seen in physical, human manifestations. In example, the evils of communism, the horrors of terrorism, right down to the very respectable Western god of materialism. Life is the stuff we own. Where I see men sacrificing their marriages and their children simply to earn more money. These powers, not to mention the very specific temptations of the devil, would love to take us away from God and his kingdom and to seek to subvert his work in the world. That's the real struggle. Now, in one sense, somebody once said to me, oh, yeah, I know there's this struggle going on. I think of it a bit like a football match. He said, you know, God's leading 1-0. Uh, and the devil's kind of down, but he's just about to score. It's not like that. The Bible says the result's already known. In fact, Paul says in another of his letters, he says, when Jesus died on the cross, he kind of had victory over the devil and all the evil powers of the world, the stuff we can't see. But the problem is, is the devil is trying to fight back. And we and the whole church are in that struggle, hence the language of being strong and the imagery of armour. But on their own, this language of armour and being strong can create something of a problem. They lead us to that view described by Martin Lloyd-Jones that Paul is being martial, manly and strong. It suggests that one of the key things about our Christian faith is our strength. It feeds into the idea that proper Christianity, certainly the Christianity the Apostle Paul taught and lived, is something we might call today muscular Christianity. It's about being hard, tough and focused. It appeals, therefore, to to men and certain men with that. And if we're not in that category, we wonder perhaps if Ephesians 6 has anything to say to us, because you might think, I'm not like that. I'm not a man, and if I am, I'm not particularly manly or strong. And, you know, that whole language of just being strong and toughing it out, that isn't me. Has this passage got to say anything to you? I think that reading of Ephesians 6 is wrong because I think it's a misunderstanding of the Apostle Paul. If you actually read what Paul wrote here and elsewhere, you'll realise Paul was far from being an alpha male. In fact, he was honest about his weaknesses and his shortcomings and his needs. 
But it's not only a misreading of the Apostle Paul, it's a misreading of the whole passage before us. Because I want us to see tonight, as we look at this passage, this passage is not about our strength at all. It is about God's strength made real in our lives. That's the key thing. I'm not asking you to be strong. Paul is not asking you to be strong. He's saying that God wants to make you strong through his power in your life. How does that take out? Look at our batting order. I'm suggesting we say three things. We're going to see how we access God's strength in three ways. First of all, through acknowledging human weakness. Secondly, through putting on his armor. And thirdly, through asking him in prayer. Okay? Let's look at that together. First of all, God's strength comes through acknowledging our human weakness. We've already noticed that the first line of this passage has the word, be strong in it. But the key thing, look with me, is how those words carry on. Be strong, in verse 10, in the Lord and in his mighty power. In the Lord, in his mighty power. Paul is not instructing the Christians in Ephesus simply to be strong on their own. They knew all about that. They lived in a culture which prized self-sufficient strength and achievement, both physical and social. As a leading Roman city, Ephesus would have been a place where physical beauty, prowess and achievement were all highly prized. Ephesus was a centre of commerce and wealth, of people who'd done well through hard work and who were consequently very proud. So the Ephesian believers knew all about being strong. They saw it every day in the politicians who governed the city, the business people who lived in the largest villas, and the athletes and the speakers who were fated at public events. But Paul's instruction is very different. He says, don't be strong in yourselves. Don't be strong because of what you're good at. He says, be strong in the Lord. Find yourself, your strength not in yourselves, but in a third party. The Lord who created you and gives you life through Jesus Christ. That is where your strength should come from. Why did Paul write that for those early Christians? To be strong in the Lord? Because deep down he knew one thing about himself and about others. That he was weak. And that he needed divine strength for the spiritual battle. You see, Paul's writing may be very impressive 2,000 years on, a masterpiece of writing and argument, but in his prison cell when he wrote this, Paul was aware of all his human limitations, physical, social, and spiritual. He's not a strong person asking for a bit of Duracell supercharged strength. He's a weak person who relies totally and utterly on God's strength for the battle ahead. Now listen, our culture is really not so very different from that of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. Self-sufficiency is preached to children from an early age. We are taught to rely on ourselves, but we're not meant to. We are called to recognise that as human beings, we are fallen, fragile and wounded in need of a saviour, a healer and a comforter. That is true of me, and it's true of you. And while in Jesus we have found all those things, a saviour, a comforter, and a healer, we don't suddenly become superman or superwoman. As Christians, we will always need to rely on God's strength, because our own will not do. You may recall when I celebrate communion here at Holy Trinity, I often use a phrase that was taught to me by one of my tutors at college, I often say, do you remember when I invite you to communion, I say, come not because you're strong, but because you're weak. And then I look up and look at you all. 
and I see the professor of this and the chief executive of that and the finance director of this and the person who created the, ran the, you know, did an etap of the Tour de France in record time and I'm thinking, crumbs, if anyone's not weak, it's this lot here. But then I realise, yeah, you're just as weak as I am. Because naturally we are broken, fragile people in need of God's strength. We need to be strong in the Lord because we will not be strong on our own. So I guess being strong in the Lord, first of all, means recognizing our own human weakness. And I guess I want to say, were you prepared to do that, to recognize actually you're not the real deal? You're not the person who's completely sorted because none of us are. And you're never going to be strong enough on your own, but only when you recognize you're weak. That's the first way to to access God's strength, is to recognize our weakness. Secondly, though, if the struggle exists, how are we going to face it? We've already seen it's not about our strength because spiritually we're weak. It's about God's strength. So what tools does he give us? Well, this is where God's armor comes in, those six pieces of spiritual equipment which is for the battle ahead. Remind me, the belt of truth breastplate of righteousness, feet ready with the gospel, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now listen, you could spend a sermon on each of those pieces of the armour. The good news is we're not going to. I don't think that's really the point, though. I think the point that really hits home to me is that this is God's armour, not mine. He gives it to us. We don't manufacture it ourselves. We receive it from him. Now, we need it, oh yes, we need it, to stand firm for Christ, but our task is simply to receive this armour from God, for it is his. So let's just go through it. You see, first of all, we need his truth that will help us keep us focused on Jesus. The devil and his powers, dressed up in relativism and a subverted understanding of tolerance, would love to persuade us that Jesus isn't really worth living for. He's a good teacher, but he's not Lord. But the unique truth of the gospel revealed in the Bible is that Jesus lived, died for our sins, he rose again, he ascended, and he'll one day return. That tells us something otherwise. We need that truth round us to keep us in place. It's his righteousness that we need to stand in the first place. The devil and his power would love us to taunt us with the things that we think might disqualify us from God's service. A sinful past, present doubts, anxiety about the future, sin that we might battle with today. But what we wear here is not our own worth or our own righteousness. It's not my clear moral slate because I don't have one. It's the righteousness that is given to me by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross. That's what I wear. And that's what we need. It's the gospel that we need to get us going in mission. The devil and his powers would love us to believe that Jesus is good news for us, but he isn't really there for others. We can just enjoy being Christians and not worry about other people. But the gospel of God that all who are alienated from God can know peace through Jesus, is what we need to get our feet going and help other people know the good news. It's faith from God that we need for the journey ahead. The devil and his powers would love us to retreat into the idea that the real things of life are what we can see and feel. Spiritual attack doesn't exist. When God gives us faith in Jesus, we see there's a bigger battle going on. 
and we see the attack coming in and we repel it. It's God's salvation that we need to remind us who we are. The devil and his powers would love us to believe that Christian faith is just a hobby alongside golf, shopping and car maintenance. God's salvation, worn proudly so all we can see, reminds us that we are to be part of God's saved people, set apart for the sake of a hurting world. Finally, it is God's spirit that we need for the task ahead. The devil and his powers would love us to believe that we are simply in the business of peddling one message among thousands of others, from one holy book among many others. But God gives us his spirit who takes the work of God the word of God, to do the work of God in people's lives. So that is God's armour. That's what he gives us. Truth to keep us focused on Jesus. Righteousness to know that we are forgiven and serve. The gospel to get us going in mission. Faith for the challenging journey ahead. Salvation to remind us of who we are. And the spirit who brings God's words alive to us. See, I may be weak, but I have divine weapons. It is not my truth or my righteousness or my gospel that I need. It is God's. But that leaves me with one final question, which is this. How do we access this armour if it's not something we produce ourselves? What one thing do we need to remember in the struggle of Christian living individually and corporately? It's there in verses 18 to 20. Prayer. Paul says, pray also for me. Pray for me, he says. Pray for others. Pray for yourselves, he said. Pray in the Spirit. Always pray for all things in all ways and for all people. Why does prayer make sense? Because in prayer we recognise that we are not in charge. God is. Have you thought how striking it is that Paul, the greatest church planter in history, asks other people to pray for him? Why does he do that? He does that because he realises that on his own, he's just one man. But with God's power in his life, he can do all that God calls him to do. Prayer is effectively putting God's centre stage, recognising the future is about him and not ourselves, and saying to God, I need you. By the way, we're really encouraging people to read um, one Christian book over the summer. Can I make a plug for this one? It's called Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. It's one of the most helpful books I've read on prayer. Because what Gary Thomas says is he says, basically, God made us different. He made some of us like nature and some of us like sport and some of us like being quiet and some of us like being with others. God made us different. That's great. And because God made us different, it means that he made us, gave us different ways to pray. And one of the key things we need to do as Christians is work out how do we work out how to pray? in a way that makes sense for who we are. And so in this book, Gary Thomas just goes through very different ways to pray and work and gives us an opportunity to find out which way works for us. I really recommend it. And uh, if not, there's lots of other good books on the Summer Reading Bookstore at the back. Let me just finish, though, by saying this. What have we seen about strength for the battle? God's strength comes through acknowledging human weakness. God's strength comes through putting on his armour, not what we have ourselves. And God's strength comes through asking him in prayer. Let me take you back to that chap I mentioned earlier. Do you remember the chap with the struggles in the Christian life? Was the answer simply for him to say to me, Philip, I need to be stronger? As we chatted over our time together, I think we came to the view that wasn't the answer. 
It wasn't stronger that he needed to be. It was deeper. Stronger suggests the answer lay within him. Deeper tells us the answer lies in God. In going deeper in him, in acknowledging our human weakness, in asking for his provision through prayer, in asking for what he can give us, his armour and his resources. See, if we get under the skin of Ephesians chapter 6, verse, verses 10 to 20, it's not muscular Christianity we need. It's deeper Christianity. For while the struggles are real, and I have to say, I've been a Christian now for 23 years, I don't find the struggles getting easier. I just find them changing. I remember listening to a talk, I was at Word Alive, a great hero of mine called George Verver, 80 now, completely mad, wonderful missionary, started Operation Mobilization at the age of 25 or something, absolutely fantastic chap. It was really powerful. He stood up at the evening session, was being interviewed, and they said, well, how do you find the struggles of the Christian life? He said, oh, the big one for me is still pornography. He said, I always think I've got it sorted, and then it comes to bite me on the back. Here's somebody of 80 talking about it. He said, those struggles don't go away, he says, but I know that the real issue is whether I'm going to meet them with God or on my own. And I think that's basically what Paul's saying. Will we be strong, or will we be strong in the Lord? Because I tell you, I've tried a number of times to just be strong on my own. And self-discipline, all those things are a good thing, but if we don't try and be strong in the Lord, that will never work. Paul says we need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And that comes when we recognise our own weakness, when we recognise what God can give us, and when we actually ask for it in prayer. So I guess I want to finish tonight with a bit of a question, a bit of a, it's a question for myself, it's a question for all of us here tonight. Is do we recognise the reality of a struggle that is more than the stuff we can see? Do you recognise that the devil would love to stop you praying? Would love you to be anything else, or anywhere else than here in church tonight? He'd love you to be checking your phone rather than reading the Bible. He'd love you to do anything to distract you from walking with the Lord Jesus? Do you recognise that's a reality, that there is a tempter out there? Secondly, will you recognise that within that battle, you are weak if you just try and do this on your own? Thirdly, will you recognise that actually God has given you what you need in his word, in his forgiveness, in his gospel, and in his truth? And then will you say, please, Lord, I need it? And will you ask other people to pray for you as I ask people to pray for me? Will you pray for me that in my struggle I will be strong in the Lord and not on my own? I'm going to finish by reading a prayer this week. I came across it from an anonymous Puritan. Puritans, by the way, have got a dreadful name, but they're marvellous, marvellous people who wrote the most amazing prayers and were very, very godly people. And I'm going to suggest we use this as a bit of a prayer. It's a long one because they had lots of time in those days because they didn't have television. Um, so they wrote very long prayers. And I'm going to suggest we use it. Perhaps Toby and the band would like to come up because we're going to sing immediately we finish this. It's a song called I Need You Now. Uh, we're going to stand to sing it after we've uh, prayed this. Um, but let's just be quiet. And, uh, and I hope this prayer sums up something of what I've been saying tonight.